Good evening. How are you guys doing? If it's Switex and Janice over here, I, it feels really like weighted to one side. I, Nick will help out. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are here. I, I, maybe I'll come and stand down here and preach tonight. It just feels weird to stand in the pulpit with, I don't know. Let me think about it. Hey, I, I don't have a lot of announcements. I just want to point out to you that the last hymn that we sing is, um, it looks like if you're on that last page, it looks like it finishes on this page. My song is Love Unknown. But there's three more verses on the back. So uh, just be aware of that. Uh, that's all I have. Let's go ahead and uh, stand up and let's begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening and the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness and illumine your church. Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father, heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ, we have come to the setting of the sun and we look to the evening light. We sing to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy of being praised with pure voices forever. O Son of God, O giver of life, the universe proclaims your glory. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, for you are merciful and you love your whole creation. And we, your creatures, glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Psalm 95, one through nine, we read this on Sunday. Let's read it again. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated.
Please stand for the gospel reading. It's the gospel reading from this past Sunday as well. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you've nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty, forever. The water that I'll give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You may be seated. All right, uh, the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Last week, you'll remember from the gospel reading, Jesus, um, Jesus had interactions with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus, Last week, Jesus was talking to a guy who was above Jesus' social class. And in fact, it was a little bit embarrassing for this guy to talk to Jesus for religious reasons or social reasons. He had to meet with Jesus by night. Uh, this, you know, Jesus is just a common a day laborer. He's a construction worker. Uh, Nicodemus is uh, wealthy. He's a, a man. He's a religious leader. And uh, so... Uh, Jesus having conversation with him, uh, Nicodemus was having to stoop a little bit socially 
to talk with Jesus. This week, Jesus is talking to somebody who's below him socially, on the social ladder. And this is a, a woman. Uh, typically, women, men and women in the Jewish world didn't have a lot of conversations with each other. I'm going to quote to you from the Mishnah. If you're not familiar, the Mishnah is Jewish teachings, Jewish explanation of Moses' law from around the time of Jesus. The Mishnah says, one who, uh, this is actually in the Mishnah Avot, one who excessively converses with a woman causes evil to himself, neglects the study of Torah, and in the end inherits Gehenna, or that's kind of a Jewish purgatory. Uh, but by the way, I'm not arguing that this is good. I'm, argue, I'm saying that's the way people thought at the time. The woman herself is surprised that this guy would come and talk to her. And he's a Jewish guy too. So also she's a Samaritan. If you don't know the whole story about that, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Samaritans, uh, they had a lot of fighting. Their borders were right up against each other. They both coming from the same place religiously, but there had been a, a great divergence Several hundred years prior to this, they didn't get along. Uh, Mishnah, again, Mishnah Nidah says the, devout, the daughters of the Samaritans are unclean from their cradles. So it's really strange for a Jewish man to be talking to her. Also, she's a moral outcast in her own community, in a community which values um, intact families and marital fidelity. She's a woman who's had uh, five husbands. Maybe some of them have died. Not all of them have died, though. She's living with a man now and... Um, She's at, the, she's at the well in the middle of the day. The sixth hour is noon. This is not the time when people would go to the well for water. So she's gone there in order to be by herself, apparently. So she definitely feels the weight of this. But this social world that Jesus lives in is the social world that we all live in. Everybody, Americans like to pretend that they're completely egalitarian. This is not the case. Social class is a fact of life. It's not a great fact of life, but it is a fact of life. Jesus lived in a world that was, that was controlled by class just as much as you are. Every worldview, in fact, that you could subscribe to, class is a major feature of this. There's the rich and then there's the poor. And most of us fit somewhere in between there. There's people who are wealthier than us that we feel the weight of, you know, a little bit intimidated. They've got more money than us. There's people who have less money than us and we feel kind of proud that we're not like them there's fat and there's healthy. There's good and there's bad. There's male and there's female. There's all kinds of classes that we divide up into where it's us and then there's them and we, we become us because there's a them to define us against. Jesus lived in a world that was not that different from that and yet Jesus consistently refuses to participate in that world. He interacts with people from all uh, from, from all social classes, from all economic classes. He interacts with people of all religious religious classes, and he does it as equals. He treats them all the same. Jesus is like, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, royal, the Royal Navy, this is the British Navy, the chaplains in the Royal Navy actually have no rank. They don't have an, like in the, the U.S. chaplains have a rank based upon how long they've been in the service and what, you know, their training and whatnot. Royal Navy chaplains don't have a rank. Instead, they take on the rank of whoever it is that they're talking to. So if a Royal Navy chaplain is talking to an admiral, that chaplain is an admiral in that moment and is treated as an equal so that they can look at the chaplain and say, you and I are equals. If the, if the Royal Navy chaplain is talking to a seaman who just joined the Corps, that chaplain is a seaman. Jesus functions in that way. He treats people as equals. He treats people, he takes people seriously and he's gonna do it with this woman here. 
So let's look at the conversation that he has with this woman really quickly if we can and talk about the ways that Jesus meets her needs and meets our needs as well. So first of all, Jesus cuts through the static. This this woman's gonna throw a bunch of static at him just like we all do to, to each other and to God. Gonna throw a bunch of static at him. Jesus cuts through it to get to the heart of what she really needs, what we really need, okay? This is what he does. That's what Jesus does. He gets to who we are and how he can help us where we're at. That's what he did to Nicodemus, right? So Nicodemus comes with a bunch of background noise, with a bunch of static. Nicodemus comes to say to Jesus, okay, I'm here to investigate you. I'm, one of the, I'm a member of the Sanhedrin, so I'm one of the religious elites. I'm very wealthy. I'm, I'm engaged, like I, I, I'm intrigued by you, but I need to figure out who you are and where you come from. This is the, this is the point of the conversation, Nicodemus says. And Jesus knows what, the, what Nicodemus' main problem is. Nicodemus is proud of his birth. Nicodemus has ethnic pride. He's Jew. He's a male. He's wealthy. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest level of Jewish religious authority in Israel at the time. And so what does Jesus do? He, this, this man who's proud of his birth, Jesus goes right after that idol and says, hey, you're, it's no good. You need to be born again. You need to start over from the very beginning. Your birth is wrong. You need to be born again. To a man who's extremely proud of his birth, Jesus cuts right to the heart of what Nicodemus needs. He does the same thing with this woman here. Okay, so the question is, what does she need? What is it that this woman really needs? Is is it her ethnicity that's a problem? No, Jesus came to, to, to live and die and to connect with all of our ethnicities. Is it the fact that she's lived a questionable moral life? No. That's, I mean, that's probably related to that, but Jesus deals with sinners. Who amongst us does not live a questionable moral life? This is who Jesus came for. What is her real need? And the answer is, her real need is, is that she's thirsty. Look at verse 10. Jesus says to her, she's like, why are you talking to me? You shouldn't be talking to me. You're a man and you're a Jew. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, so living water, that's, what does that mean? Um, do you guys, everybody here knows the meaning of the word running water, right? R- running water just means water that's moving, like, a, like, like a, a creek or a river. Do you ever stop it? Like, running water's an idiom, right? Water doesn't really run. It's just, it's a, it's a slang, it's a, it's a figure of speech that we all just kind of, like, no, because we just grew up with it in English. Hebrew didn't have, Aramaic didn't have, um, they didn't use running water as their slang term for water that's moving. It's called living water, just water that's alive, as opposed to like well water or cistern water, which would sit there and not move and was liable to get stagnant. Living water or running water, so, so when G, Jesus is not really, it's not, it's not really a deep saying here. When he says, I could give you running water, he, he's saying, this, this is like, this is ideal. People wanted running water, but in an arid climate, a lot of times all you, what you had to do with was well water or cistern water. And Jesus is saying, I can give you better water that's in this well. I can give you actually actual running water. And she says to him, well, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. How are you gonna do that? And Jesus says to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she says, Give me this water so that I don't. I want to be thirsty anymore, and I want to come here and draw water. So, I mean, Jesus pinpoints the problem is that she's thirsty. 
She's thirsty, but she doesn't want to be thirsty anymore. She, does, she wants to stop coming to the well. Okay, so what does this mean? Uh, she's thirsty. What, what does it mean to say that her problem is she's thirsty and she doesn't want to be thirsty anymore? All right, two deep philosophical quotations I'm going to give you here to get at what does it mean to be thirsty. The first is from uh, our friends, the Buddhist, from Siddhartha Buddha. He preached a sermon, actually Chuck and I just talked about this on the podcast, this episode on Christianity and Buddhism dropped today. I didn't know I was going to talk about this, but it's, I guess it was kind of in my mind because Chuck and I talked about that. Um, there's, a, there's a big problem. The, the Buddha says there's a big problem with the world. The world is broken. Nothing works right. All of life is suffering, he says. The, the, the second, the, the reason why all of life is suffering or nothing works right is the Buddha says because of tanha, which in Pali just means thirst, which is what this woman's problem is. The Buddha says that the problem with the world is thirst. And this woman, I, I, she's, that's, that's the spot that Jesus pinpoints her as being in. The problem is desire. The problem is craving. You crave, we all crave, but we can't get. What we want, we can't have. And the Buddha says, because you want what you can't have, there's gonna be suffering. And Jesus is saying, your problem is thirst. You're thirsty in that desire makes your life difficult. It makes it hard. You can't actually ever be fulfilled with the water that you're, you have to keep on coming back to this well over and over and over again. And you think that it's gonna, it's gonna slake your thirst and it never does. You stay thirsty. That's the first deep philosophical quote I wanna give you. The second deep philosophical quote I wanna give you is from Urban Dictionary. And for those of you who are younger than like 35, you already know what this means. For those of you, I'm gonna have to explain it. Also, let me explain too, Urban Dictionary, it's not really a real dictionary. I wouldn't encourage you to go use it as a source, but I needed some kind of quote to show you what thirst means in our culture, if you're younger than 30 or 35, and how it connects with what's going on here. So this is a quote from Urban Dictionary. Thirst is desire, this is a slang term that's current now, uh, amongst the kids. A desire, greed, obsession, or lust for an object or person characterized by over-eagerness that's obvious to everyone around you. In other words, to be thirsty is like to throw yourself out, desperate for romantic fulfillment or sexual fulfillment, and everybody kind of knows this person is desperate for sexual or romantic fulfillment. That's what thirst is in the current uh, um, lingo. What do the kids say? Slang? You don't say slang, do you? Uh, this woman is actually in the position where Jesus is pinpointing her problem as thirst, and her problem is exactly what our culture uses to define thirst. And that is, look down in verse um, uh, 15, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. She's been with six guys. She's been in a romantic relationship with six guys. We, we don't, some of them almost certainly have probably died, but not all of them, because she's at this point kind of embarrassed to go through the formal public process of getting married. Jesus isn't here to criticize her, her, her sex life. What he is here to do, though, is to say this. You're clearly thirsty. The amount of emotional energy it takes to run through six serious romantic relationships, the amount of pain that you must have gone through to go through five romantic relationships and get to the one that you're at now, and to sit loose enough to it to not really want to be married but to stay in it. You're clearly looking for something. 
You're wanting to be fulfilled and it's not happening. You have to keep on going back to the well. And we're all there. Every single one of us goes back to some sort of well because you're thirsty for something. You're, the, you're either TikTok thirsty, like this woman is, or you're thirsty for money, or you're thirsty for acceptance, or you're thirsty for friends, or you're thirsty for financial security. Whatever it is, you keep on going back to the well over and over and over. And Jesus is here to tell the woman and to tell you, you're not ever going to actually have your thirst quenched. You can run through a million romantic relationships and you will never feel accepted. You could have a gazillion dollars in the bank and you will never feel the security that you thirst for. Your problem is, is you're trying to slake your thirst with the wrong beverage. You're trying to slake your thirst with the wrong beverage. She's content with well water when what she should really be craving is the running water that Jesus has to offer. Now, what does this mean, running water versus well water? Well, it's a reference here to Jeremiah chapter 2. The prophet Jeremiah says this, my people have committed two evils, talking about the people of Israel. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I'm the one who can just pump water into them nonstop. And they've hewed out sisters for themselves, broken sisters that can hold no water. So they're going, for, they're, they're going to get their thirst quenched at a limited, broken source. For her, it's romance. Well, for, for all, a lot of us, it's romance. I, I imagine when I got married that Angela was going to be able to satisfy my deepest desires and my every needs. But Angela is a broken sister, just like I'm a broken sister. I can't keep on, and if I keep on going back to Angela and saying, feed me, you know, give me more to drink, give me more to drink, I'm just going to drain her dry, and I'm going to be completely disappointed. What I need is the waterfall. What I need is the water that won't ever stop. And Angela's not a waterfall. I'm not a waterfall. My bank account's definitely not a waterfall. My attractiveness is definitely not a waterfall. My, my ability to be funny or intelligent is definitely has its limits. It's a very shallow pool. What I need is I need infinite water. And Jesus is saying, I can give you that infinite water. I can stop your thirst. And at some point, she knows what he's talking about. At some point, it ceases being about the well that they're standing next to. And it starts to be about him and her. And his promise that he can fix her. She longs to be attractive. She longs to be accepted. She longs to be loved. She longs to fulfill somebody, and she can never do it. No, none of us can. And Jesus says, I can do it. Infinite water. But how does he do it? Here's how he does it. He shows her that God wants her. See, she wants to be wanted. She wants to be attractive. She wants to know I can make somebody happy. And she, she can never make a man happy, just like even the best marriages can't make each other happy infinitely. But Jesus says, God can make you happy. God can provide that infinite water. Two ways that he does this. First, just by his presence, right? Jesus does this just by being there. How does she, how do her relationships with men usually go? I don't know, it's complete speculation. I don't know, it doesn't, it seems to be sort of a, 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 a need, just like for many of us. Like we see people in terms of our own neediness. And I, you guys know this about me. Those of you who know me, you know this. I'm a huge, I have a huge problem with being a people pleaser. And what that does is you go, oh, that's really nice. Aaron likes to make people happy. No, it's not nice. It's horrible. Because what it does is it turns you guys into 
like objects that I've got to entertain to try to make happy so that I'll feel, I'll, I'll feel fulfilled. This is how she goes through life. She's used to like men being, or, or anybody I guess, being people whose job it is to seek and entertain so that they can fulfill her. And Jesus, is, Jesus isn't going to play that. Jesus is not going to do the normal thing where like, oh, you're below me. He's not going to validate in her own mind that, oh, I can only, like, this is how men treat me. Instead, he's just there with her, talking to her, treating her like an equal, having a serious conversation with her where they engage about deep stuff, and he treats her like an equal. He completely values her, but not for anything he can get out of her. Not because he's going to get sex out of her, or a relationship with, out of her, or a, convent, a, fo- a, a, a convert, a follower. He talks to her because he just loves her. He just wants to be with her. So just by the fact of his presence there, that there's this prophet, this powerful prophet, who just likes to talk to me. It's a sign that God, this is what, and this is what the incarnation is about, right? God loves you. God wants to be with you. God actually is more attracted to you than your best friend is attracted to you. He's more attracted to you than the, the, the most passionate lover you've ever known has ever been attracted to you. God is attracted to you in that way. What does that mean? Like he's sitting up in the sky being like, oh, I have, man, great feelings for them. Just really into those guys. No, he actually comes here to be with us. God becomes a human so that he can sit around the well and talk to us and say, I'm completely into you and I wanna satisfy your thirst. The third thing he does is he just says it. Now, verses 17 through 20, there's a ton here and we do not have time to talk about all of it. And I debated about how much to unpack this and I've just decided, I've got like a, a, an inch and a half of notes here and I'm just, I'm not gonna do it at all. I'm just gonna point out one thing and then we can move on. So he says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. This is all good stuff. We'll talk about it later. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. She is seeking, seeking for transcendence, seeking for that ultimate reality that by her life, it, it's a pretty apparent that at least on some level, she thinks that romance can fulfill that, can get me to that next level where I finally arrived. We're all there. We're all seeking that transcend. Even, even the most hardcore atheist I know wants something bigger than this world. Even if they don't believe in God, they want something transcendent, something that has meaning, something, that has de- something that's bigger than me, something that's bigger than this space, something that's bigger than all of us. We all crave that. And so we spend our lives searching for that. And what Jesus says is when the, when the rubber meets the road, God is seeking those to worship him in spirit and truth. God is seeking her. Her whole life she's been seeking. And as it turns out, the real transcendence has been seeking her the whole time. C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this in Surprised by Joy, which is his autobiographical, it's a spiritual autobiography. It's a story of him coming to faith. And he says at one point, he says, amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. We're looking for transcendence, but we're not looking for God because we know what that means. That's a, that's a whole bunch of bad in our minds. And as it turns out, God doesn't need us to search for him because he's searching, searching for us. He is searching for you right now. He's been, chasing, he's been chasing you a long time. And sometimes we listen for it and sometimes we don't listen for it, but you can't get away from it. 
And you know why you can't get away from it? Because he's the hound of heaven. He will not let you go. He's going to chase you down because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He wants to completely fulfill you. Well, how does he do this? He does this. Um, verse 26. Uh, let, let's wrap up with this. G give me 30 seconds here. So the woman is, is obviously attracted at, at this point to what Jesus is offering. And she says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word for the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word. So John throws this in for his Greek listener, for, for his Greek readers here. Christ is the Greek word for the anointed one. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now that's, that's very kind of formal. And it, because it's formal, it actually loses its weight. He doesn't, it, it's not I who speak to you am he. It's actually in Greek, it's, he says, that's me. The guy talking to you, that's me. That's what he says, it's me. Her whole life, God has been chasing her down and chasing her down. And she's been trying to fill that God-shaped hole in her heart with men, with relationship. And at the end of the day, it's God who's gonna come and he's gonna insert himself into her life. He's gonna fulfill her and he's gonna fulfill you. All the things that you're trying to slake your thirst with, all the things that you're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with, only God can do it. Only God in human form can do it. See, Jesus can do it because he's a human being like you and he can sit around the well with you and talk about this stuff. He can connect with you on a human level. But only God can do it. And Jesus is the only one who can do it because he's the only one who's both God and man. And on top of that, he wants to do it. He wants to live his life with you. He came here to live the life with you that you are going to live. He came here to die death with you. He came here to rise from the dead with you. He came here because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be with you forever. He wants to quench your thirst. Amen, let's pray. Father, turn us around. Father, help us to quit running from you. Help us to recognize that you've been chasing us all along. Help us to quit trying to fill this hole with academic success or financial success or relationship success. Help us to realize, Father, that you and your son, Jesus Christ, are the only one who can fill that hole that we all feel. Make it real, Father. Make it happen. Draw us close to your son, Jesus Christ. Make us aware of, of our being united to him in baptism. Give us, help us be aware of your deep love for us in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.
for the Magnificat. Peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For Pastor Harrison and Pastor Shar. For all pastors in Christ, for all servants of the church, and for all the people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For President Biden, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Marcus, 
for all public servants, for the government and those who protect us, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people here present who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the faithful who have gone before us and are with Christ, let us give thanks to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints, let us commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord, O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you. Amen. You may be seated for the final hymn.
Sweet praise, I all my days could last. 